the blessings, we want to look at three blessings which are worthy of our thanksgiving uh, that ought to motivate us in the, what we would call thanksgiving. And so we want to talk about the beloved family, the beautiful future, and the blessings that we have from God. And so as we begin, we want to look at a very familiar psalm. I'm sure that most of you have probably memorized this psalm. At one time I remember <laughs> memorized it, but I'm not going to try to quote it. But it's Psalm 100. There are five verses there. The Bible gives us uh, instructions on how we can come before the Lord. We're to come before the Lord joyfully. God doesn't like complainers. I don't like it when people come to me complaining. It stresses me. And I, it must stress the Lord because evidently every time the children of Israel would complain, he would whip them for it. <laughs> You remember there in the Valley of Edom, while they were passing through, they were complaining about how hard it was. And so God raised up fiery serpents because they were complaining. Uh, in fact, we read over there in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 um, that God does not like complainers. We always, regardless how bad things get, how many problems in our life? There's so many things to praise God for. So much to thankful to be thankful to the Lord about. Uh, my wife was telling me about a preacher that was preaching today that she was listening to. And he was somewhere there in Africa in a uh, <clears throat> leper's uh, colony uh, preaching the gospel. And said he wasn't prepared for what he was seeing as he noticed uh, so many people that their, their bodies had been ravaged by leprosy. This little girl whose face was, part of it was amputated and cut off because of the leprosy. And she, was, she asked if she could sit next to him. And uh, he said, sure. So she's sitting there hugging up to him. Uh, and... Uh, then she asked if she could sing a song, and, and he said yes, and she asked if he would go with her to the front to sing the song, and he said yes, and he, he said, well, what are you going to sing? She said, I'm going to sing my favorite song. He said, what's that? Count your many blessings. And so often we fail to thank the Lord when we're going through times of trials, and yet there are those that can count their blessings even when they've been ravaged by leprosy. We read that when we come before the Lord in Psalms 100 and verse number 1, we're to make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you lands. We're to serve the Lord. When we serve the Lord, we need to serve the Lord with the right attitude, serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing. And then he says, know ye that the Lord is God. He is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. So we are to enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. We are to be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Isn't that a beautiful song? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Bless uh, our time together. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So 
And family is a blessing. I was raised in a large family, and there were times where I, could, I would think that family wasn't a blessing. <laughs> but uh, I have learned to realize how, how blessed I am to be raised by family, uh, to, uh, to grow up and knowing that uh, my mother <clears throat> had a grandma and a grandpa, and that my mother had a mom and dad, uh, uh, to, <clears throat> to be there and alive at, I mean, uh, when, when I was a child, to be around uh, my grandma for just a little time while she was alive and around my grandpa on my mother's side uh, while he was alive, to hear my mother talk about her grandmother and her grandfather, uh, to be around my father's family, my, my grandmother, my grandfather on my father's side of the family, and to hear them talk about their family and and hear them talk about uh, their early lives. My grandpa was born in 1882, and he told me the stories about when he saw his first automobile, when he saw his first airplane. He passed away in 1967 at 88 years old, thinking that he would live to be 100, but like so many, never went to see the doctor, and uh, ended up getting polyps in his colon that turned to cancer. Uh, but... Uh, it, what a blessing. My grandma lived to be 80, I believe 86, and she was born in 1887. And to hear her tell the stories about how she came from Ohio to Kansas City, Kansas, in a covered wagon. Uh, my grandpa talking about how his grandfather came over here from Ireland and settled down outside of Washington, D.C. and Maryland. And, and um, he never really went into any details. I wasn't sure exactly where it was back there until my wife and I went back there and kept having all these deja vus that I had been there before, not knowing that we were in the very area that my grandfather and my great-grandfather grew up in and having deja vu that I was there before and then later on learning about the very area that they lived in. And I said all that to say this, because of family, I know who I am. I know where I came from. I'm so thankful for that. There's so many young people today that don't even know who their father or their mother are. They children that was <clears throat> given up for adoption. There are children out there that have never met their father, would like to know who their father is. Children out there that their mother has abandoned them raised by single-parent uh, 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 families uh, coming from a very mixed uh, type of family background, not really knowing a whole lot about who they are because they don't know who their family is. And we that can uh, say that we were raised by our family and our moms and dads stayed faithful to each other and our grandparents were faithful to each other, uh, Sometimes we fail to realize what a blessing that is. When I'm around my, when my grandchildren come around, I like from time to time to take them around our house and I'll say, I want you to see, this is your grandpa, this was my dad, this is my mother, uh, this is my grandma and grandpa on my dad's side, this would be your great-grandparents. I just want them to be able to identify and know something about their family lineage and where they came from. Family is important. 
And one not very long from now, we're going to get to meet our family, those that know the Lord, those that have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, one day we're going to get to have a lasting fellowship with them. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from this day forward. And so <clears throat> we understand that uh, not only do we have our, our bloodline family, but uh, we have another bloodline family through the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we have put our faith in him. And so our family has grown down through the years. Uh, by the grace of God, uh, we were able to establish some churches and pastor those churches. Uh, we were able to make friends that uh, became part of the family of God. And it's, it's so interesting and such a blessing to know that your life has impacted the lives of others. And that they're all brought into the family of God. We read what is said over in Ephesians chapter 3 verse number 15. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. To be strengthened with might by the spirit of the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. You being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ, which passeth all passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. It just, uh, <clears throat> as we begin to see the family of God grow, the fullness of God grows with that family. To realize how great God's love is, how that love permeated your life and God motivated you with that love to share that love with others. Others were brought into the family of God. And you begin to experience the fullness of God, not only through your life, but through how your life has affected others because you have shared with them the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and how that his life took residence in your life, how that his spirit has sealed you until the day of redemption. And through his blood, you have been brought into his family and now you're out there sharing the God's love with others. And they're coming into the family of God. And to go through life realizing that that family has grown as a result of your faithfulness to witness. And to understand that there is no way that you and I could ever comprehend just how great that love is. And how that love has grown because God is love. And God's love is measured by the love that is spread abroad in the hearts of his people. And as we're out there sharing the love of God, and the love of God begins to permeate the lives of lost sinners by your faithfulness to proclaim that message of love. And then we see that that love reaches to heaven. It, 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 it reaches across the world. It reaches around the world. Your life begins to impact others as you begin to reach others and some of those sell out to the ministry and some end up as missionaries and, and they go to foreign fields as a result of your ministry, as a result of your faithfulness. And as we all take part in that ministry, because we are a body of believers and as a church, we're working together 
uh, collectively, uh, to reach others. And the whole family of God just continues to grow. And one day we'll stand before God in his presence and we'll see how our lives, if we were faithful to serve the Lord, how our lives have affected so many other people uh, through our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And how beautiful is that, the beloved family? How important it is that, that we're out there working and encouraging and bringing others into the family of God. And so we have much to thank the Lord for, to thank the Lord for this church, to thank the Lord that we're reaching others and bringing them into the family of God. And then uh, we can not only praise God for those things, but to praise the Lord for the beautiful future that we have. And we have the blessed hope. We have the glorious hope. The Apostle Paul assures us of a bright future. We read in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 18, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Uh, when we think about uh, what God has in mind for us, to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. To stand before the Lord and to receive uh, at that Bible seat uh, the rewards of our faithfulness. As we serve the Lord with the confidence that the Apostle Paul served the Lord with. And we can honestly say as we come to the end of our life, I have fought a good fight. We are not writing a song like Frank Sinatra sung, I've done it my way, but we did it God's way. And we can say with the Apostle Paul, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith, and there is a crown of righteousness laid up for me. Paul could say that with confidence, and Paul said not only with confidence there was a crown of righteousness laid up for him, but he says also for you there can be a crown of righteousness laid up. Not only for me, but also for you that love his appearing. If you love his appearing, that means that you are out there faithfully serving. That means that you're not ashamed at his coming. That means that you know that you have been faithful to serve him. You're excited to hear him say, well done, because you have been faithful by the grace of God. You know that when the master comes home, uh, that uh, he's going to be pleased with what you've done because you've done everything that he's asked you to do. And there are some that the master's gone away and he asked them to do what? He asked them to do, and they've done not one thing. And they're, all, they're fearful that he's coming home. They're kind of scrambling around trying to get something done, but they've wasted their time. They've wasted their years. They've wasted their strength, and now they're no longer able to do it. And they regret the way they lived their lives. Must I stand an empty-handed, as the songwriter has wrote. But we can be assured of a glorious time with the Lord. The Apostle Paul assured us that not only would it be glorious when we are faithful to stand before him as servants or as stand before him as faithful servants, but to know that we'll have glorious bodies. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse number 17 and 18, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 
while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In other words, Paul was looking at his own flesh. Paul saw that his eyes were fading, his body was weakening, he was ravaged with age, and he was ravaged with all the struggles of life. And it can get discouraging as we look to ourselves and we see in the mirror that uh, we are wearing down. But we know inwardly there is a new man that is created in righteousness that is renewed day by day. He's getting younger. And as we faithfully serve the Lord, the glory of that new man is glowing brighter. We read over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that in the resurrection, some are going to be raised up with more celestial light than others. Others that have been faithful to the Lord will have greater glory than those that have not. Some will shine as the morning star. Some will shine as the more bright, or pardon me, as a fading star. And some will shine as the bright and morning star. It depends on your glory. You'll have robes of righteousness that will reflect your acts of righteousness, according to what we read over in Revelation chapter 19. And so <clears throat> we have a glorious future. And as we live our lives for the Lord, it can be a little exciting to know that you have fought a good fight and to reckon, well, I have been faithful to the Lord. I wonder what kind of a body I will have. We're all going to have a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. But there are some that's going to wear more crowns than others. And there may be some that will not even have a crown. They'll be there. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Bible said there are some that are there saved by fire. Because all their works were burned up. Because their works were nothing but what was for this world the wood, the hay, the stubble. Uh, that's not necessarily wicked. It's not sinful. Wood, hay, and stubble, you wouldn't say is something that you would say sinful. It's just worldly. And it's all going to be burned up. But the gold and the silver and the precious stones are things that we do for Christ that will not be burned up. And then there are the blessings of God. The voice of the psalmist in Psalms 91, verses 1 through 13. In his voice, he says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He went on to say in verse number 2, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from uh, the snare of the fowler. The fowler is uh, a bird that sometimes was used uh, to entrap uh, bigger game. He says, and from the noisome pestilence, he shall cover thee with his feathers. Under his wings shall thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. And he went on to say, and shall not be afraid for the terror by night and for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, ten thousand at thy right hand, 
but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes thou shalt behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. Is he your habitation? Is the dwelling place of God in your life? Do you dwell with him? There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh to thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder and the young lion and the dragon, and thou shalt trample under feet. Notice these are the voice of the psalmist. These are not the voice of God, but these are the words of inspiration that the Spirit of the Lord gave unto the psalmist, assuring the psalmist as he writes that these are blessings that God would bring upon them, but they come with conditions. The condition is that God must be our habitation. Uh, we must dwell with the Lord. The protection is that he will deliver us from the temptations of Satan as he uses the fowler. He will hedge us up. His angels will be there to protect you. But then we see the voice of God in verse number 14 through 16. The voice of the Lord in Psalms 91, verse number 14, Because he had set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him. And show him my salvation. Notice the number of promises that we have here. These are things that we can praise God for. As we live for these promises. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. When we are faithful to live our lives according to his will. When we are familiar with the word of God. and We know the promises of God. Then we can have confidence in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And we can know if he hears us, we know that we have the petition that we desired of him. As we read in 1 John chapter 5, verse number 14 and 15. God is faithful to answer his prayer. The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much, James tells us. Notice, and we see in verse number 15, I will be with him in trouble. Deliverance from trouble, as we read in Psalms 107, verse number 19 through 21. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, and his wonderful works to the children of men. Wow, what a blessing. God sent his word. The greatest blessing that we have today is the word of God. As we take this King James Bible and we use it every day to find refuge, to find encouragement, and to find direction. God has sent his word. Do we praise him for those things? 
And then he said, I will set him on high and honor him. As we see in verses 14 and verse number 15, God will exalt and show favor unto his people. We read in Proverbs chapter 3, my son, forget not my law. God makes it very clear that let thine heart keep my commandments for a length of days and life and peace shall they add unto thee. He went on to say, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. He said that we are to bind them about our necks. We are to write them upon the tables of our heart. God makes it very clear that if we'll do that, then we will find favor in the sight of God and man. But in order to do that, we need to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not upon our own understanding. We must in all of our ways acknowledge him. And what has he promised? Then he says, I will direct thy path. Does God direct your path? Are you thanking him for directing your path? When he will keep, when we will keep his law, and then we can follow truth and mercy. He says, with long life, I will satisfy him. As we honor the Lord, as we honor those that God has placed over us, as we honor our parents, I don't care how ungodly our parents may be, God still expects us to honor them. But honor them in the Lord, he says. And it's so much easier to honor them in the Lord. I remember years ago when I was much younger, my wife and children were at home with us, and Pamela was about 10 years old, and we were visiting my dad. My dad uh, wanted to fight me, and he would challenge me to a fight. He told me that he was big and bad enough. He was only five foot six, but I don't know what it is with short people. They think they can whip the world. And he said to me, he said, I don't care how big you are, I could throw you right through that window. I said, well, Dad, I don't think so. And I would never fight you because the Word of God tells me that I'm to honor you. As a Christian, I want you to understand, Dad, it makes it very difficult for me to honor you with your kind of attitude. And I said, I don't want my children to hear this. I don't like for my family to hear what you just said. So we're leaving, and you won't see me here again. And we left. A couple of weeks later, my dad came over. He brought him a couple quarts of beer, and he wanted to talk to me and wanted to apologize. And I said, Dad, we, we can talk, but leave your beer in your vehicle. So we went out in the backyard, and he told me, that he was sorry, and I said, well, Dad, I'm sorry, too. I said, because I have a lot of bitterness in my heart toward you, because I grew up around that attitude all my life. And I said, um, there were times where you would take your fist and you would beat on us, and I would want to fight back, but I, I've always thought it would be wrong to fight my dad. Even before I knew the Lord, I, I always tried to honor you. But I said, you make it very hard. My heart's been filled with a lot of bitterness because of that, because of your attitude, because of your anger. And since we're asking for forgiveness, since you're asking me for forgiveness, I'm going to ask you to forgive me for hating you and being bitter at you. 
by the grace of God, I want to love you, and Dad, I want to forgive you. My dad broke down and started crying and said, I'm sorry. A few years later, I was able to lead my father to the Lord. You see, we can reach them. When we honor them in the Lord. And then as we read on, uh, we see that he will show us his salvation. I like that. And show him, notice my salvation. It's not your salvation, it's God's salvation. I, I get amused at these people that think that you can lose your salvation. Well, if it's your salvation, you're going to lose it. But it's not your salvation. It's his salvation. It's a salvation that he has promised. We are told in Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 9, that he is the author of eternal salvation. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Well, what does that mean? I had someone ask me that was a free will Baptist that attends our services. Well, what does that mean? I said, well, it doesn't mean what you think it means. He thought that it meant that we were to keep the law of Moses, and if we fail in any part of the law of Moses, then, then we lose that salvation. I said, well, you can't keep it. Children of Israel couldn't keep it. What makes it you think you can keep it? So <clears throat> to obey means to obey the gospel. Well, what are we to do? We're to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, my trust is not within myself. It's in him. And he gives me the power and the desire. I'm the repent, but I can't repent in and of myself. It's he that gives me repentance. He gives me the desire and he puts the power within me to do so. When I come to that place to where I realize I can't, but he can, and I call upon the Lord. The Bible makes it very clear by receiving the gospel. And then the power of God comes upon us. As many as received him, to them he gave salvation. As many as received him and believed on his name. The Bible makes it very clear that we are kept by the power of God into salvation. You see, the gospel is the power of God unto all that believe. When we put our faith in the gospel and we receive Jesus into our heart, if we're sincere about it, he gives to us repentance. He gives to us the ability to turn like the apostle Paul was able to turn. And so, therefore, we will no longer say that it's of us. By grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. As we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8 and 9. We must understand that it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with him because of his blood that was poured out on the cross. It is his blood that provides for us the redemption. We are told in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 12 that his own blood is what gives to us eternal redemption. By his own blood, he has entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now, I want to ask you, what does the word redeem mean? It means that you and I were lost to something, and we have been purchased out of what we were lost from. 
The word redemption comes from the Greek word agoroso, which means to buy out of the marketplace. You were lost into the marketplace, sold into sin. Jesus Christ went to the cross, and through his precious blood, he bought you out. And that's what the word redemption means, that he paid the price, he has redeemed you, and that redemption is eternal. You can never be lost. If you could be lost, then he would have to come and pay the price again. And he's only paid it once. Once is all is needed. And so by the new covenant, he has promised to us an eternal inheritance. We read in Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 15, that he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressors, that would be us, that were under the first testament, that was the law. We were sinners, we murdered, we disobeyed, we committed adultery, we hated, we lied, we stole, we, we did all those things. If you're guilty of one of those things, you're guilty of all those things, as we read in Galatians chapter 3. But the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross, and every indictment that was against us was nailed to the cross according to Colossians chapter 3. And so the Bible makes it very clear that by those, by the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. And God has given you the down payment as we read over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 beginning with verse number 3. The Holy Spirit. We see that again in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 14. We see it also over in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. That you and I are not bought with silver and gold or, or those things, but by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we now have the Holy Ghost living in us. And we are now the temple of God. And the Spirit of God has sealed us until the day of redemption. And so we have an eternal inheritance. That inheritance is the kingdom of God. We are now citizens. We're no longer Amen. citizens of this world, but we are citizens of heaven. Of this world, we are strangers and foreigners. You see, we have so much to be thankful for. Our salvation gives us the ability to thank God for all the promises that are in the Bible. So by his resurrection, we are sanctified forever. I had a preacher one time that we were hosting in our home, missionary going to the Philippines, at one time was a Nazarene pastor that believed that you could lose your salvation. And he was going verse by verse through the book of Hebrews, and he came to this passage of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 9. His name was Brother Anderson. This man, Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 12, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. For by one offering he had perfected forever them that are sanctified. I don't know how I got that in there twice, but there it is for your reading. And he said, well, what does that mean? He is sanctified forever. You see, I'm made a saint forever, not by 
anything that I've offered, but by that one offering he has offered. And not only am I sanctified forever, but the offering has been perfected. There's nothing that I can do other than just trust in him. So he, by his power and because of who he is, and that is God, keeps us through our faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively or living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for who? For you who are what? Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. We have no idea what God has laid up for us. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse number 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and who is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand? For I and my Father are one. God is able to keep what he has promised. That's why the Apostle Paul could say, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have much to praise God for, but the greatest thing that we have to praise God for is our salvation. How often do we thank the Lord for the eternal life that he has given to us? How often do we just simply bow our heads and say, Lord, I want to thank you for your redeeming blood that has provided for me eternal redemption. I want to thank you, Lord, that the heavens have been promised to me and I have my name written down in the Lamb's book of life. And in that golden city, I am... A, a citizen, and I want to thank you, Lord, for that in, eternal in, inheritance. You know, God has promised us so many things. When someone promises you something, what do you usually say to that person? Thank you. You know, your boss promises you, you've been such a hard worker, I want to promise you that I'm going to double your salary. Well, I, I would imagine the first thing would come out of your mouth, well, wow, thank you. <laughs> How often do we thank God for his promises with every head bowed? Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonderful salvation that we have. Thank you for our beloved family. Thank you for our wonderful future. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for hedging us up and keeping us from all the snares and entrapments that Satan puts out there before us. Thank you, Lord for showing us your great salvation. Thank you for giving to us the faith to believe and to trust in it. Lord, we just ask in the name of Jesus that um, we would share that faith, that you would give to us a greater burden 
to go out and tell others that are living in darkness. Uh, those that are out there that have no hope, that live in sorrow and live in remorse, that live in the fear of what tomorrow may bring. May we share that glorious message of love with them. I just wonder with every head bowed before we say amen, how many of you can say with absolute assurance by a raised hand, preacher, I just want to say thank Jesus for my eternal salvation. How many of you can honestly say from your heart that you know that you have that salvation? And if you know that you have it, just raise your hand and give him a high five right now and thank him for it. Heavenly Father, again, we raise our hands before you and we thank you for your eternal grace and for your gift of everlasting life. We thank you, Lord, that you made the promise to us that you so loved us that you gave to us your only begotten Son, that all we would have to do is to believe in you and that we would have everlasting life. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the faith to believe and knowing that we have the gift of eternal life.